Hey everybody, I'm Joe Padavina. And I'm Lance Birch. And this is One More Thing, where we dive deeper into reality's latest sermons. This week, Lance continued the series, Living Life Backwards, starting with the end in mind. The sermon is titled Seasons. If you haven't seen the sermon yet, you can find it at reality.church. Lance, why don't you tell us what this sermon was all about? Well, the thing is that we can get distracted by what we're doing or what we're attaining or the stuff of life. And a core question that I think a lot of people ask is, in light of all this, what matters most? And in the middle of asking that question, a season is going to hit your life. It could be a season of real confusion. You can get a diagnosis. You can get married. You can start a business. But sometimes these are things that you have zero control over. You can lose that business. You can find out you're getting a divorce against your will, really. And you can't schedule them. You can't schedule these things that are going to come up on your life. You can't skip them. And so what do we do in light of that? I really enjoyed this sermon. I think for me, it, it I'm, in a, I'm in a season of life where things are going relatively well. Our, mm-hmm. our kids are getting a little older, so we're getting out of that crazy baby phase, which is always <laughs> a challenge. Um, but I'm in this in this season of just joy, watching my kids, uh, enjoying my wife. Uh, we got a good, solid group of friends. We moved moved recently uh, back from from Texas to Nebraska. <laughs> so that Welcome was a back. change. Thanks. Yeah. Um, but yeah, God is just putting people and things in my life right now that are just, just bringing lots of joy. So uh, I'm not looking forward to the season changing, but... Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, part of the point was seize the season. Squeeze mm-hmm. all the meaning out of the season that you're in, knowing that you can't schedule it and you can't skip it. So here we are. Here we are. Yes, here we are. All right. So the point of this podcast is to dive deeper uh, into the questions that were asked during the sermon, and uh, we're going to go ahead and get started. So um, Lance does not have any awareness of the questions that were asked. Except that some of the questions that we're asking today were actually asked on Sunday, and we're going to go ahead and go through with those too, because not everybody was there at the service, and maybe these questions would resonate with you as well. Yes, All right, so I'm going to read these questions exactly as they were submitted. Uh, So these are not my own viewpoints, uh, but here we go. Some of the deepest hurt I've experienced in a church is when two people there told me, God will use this for good. And they did this within days after a family member was killed in a horrific accident. I get your sentiment here today, but I'm wondering if we need to be very cautious about how we use that with each other. Yeah, um, I I did get asked this one, and I will tell you that a lot of things are said around tragedy that I'm sure if everybody had a do-over button, they would say something differently. Uh, I know that I've done that. I want to take this on from two different angles. Number one, you're exactly right. We don't just need to take a tragic situation and say, but one day it's going to be better, and so that makes it all right right now. I don't think that's the point of Ecclesiastes even. I think it's that, yes, it's bad. Yes, it's really bad. But not one day it will be better. But instead, one day it will be made right. In other words, you're not just going to get the answer for your questions about life. 
it will be as if it's more beautiful for having happened. Now, that's God territory right there. I can't make that true. I can't even make it true in my mind. But I don't think we just throw that out like a cliche, like, hey, it's going to be better one day. I do believe, and I think this is the core of Christianity, that the resurrection reversed everything. It reversed the curse. From Adam and Eve, everything was getting worse and worse and worse, and from the resurrection, everything is going to be made completely right. Everything will be brought under God's judgment, and he will make it right. I can't do that, can't even make my brain think that. So that's one side. Um, The other side is this. When anybody comes up to you in a tragic situation, and you're a believer, and they say something that you consider to be boneheaded— just like awful. They never should have said it. I want you to consider one thing. It took them all the courage in the world to even come up to you and try to express concern for you. And so we give each other grace, making allowance for each other's faults, because we don't know what to say sometimes. And what they were really trying to do is give you some comfort Now, the other part of this, too, they're trying to comfort themselves. And remember that. Sometimes we say awful things around death, not because we want to comfort you, but because we feel uncomfortable ourselves. This is scary for us, too, and we want to make it right in our own minds. So there should be grace to go around when people say, you know, kind of dumb things around tragic situations. I can't tell you how many dumb things I've said. (laughs) But I I love that you attack that from multiple angles. I, I think... I, I just say a lot of dumb things all, all the too. time. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> it's so true. Um, so so thanks. thanks. I know I need grace in that as well, so thanks for pointing that out. Uh, if God exists outside of time and we are going to go and be with him, does that mean that we will also exist outside of time and be able to see the past as if we were there? Um, I, I don't think there's going to be too much impossible for... Um, a glorified body, and a glorified mind. But I think it's even better than existing outside of time. God never called time bad. He called death bad, and it will, be, it will go away. He called sin and brokenness and illness, he called those things bad. But he never called time bad. Creation uh, is all good. And part of creation is this: all this space and matter needed a place to exist and that was, that's in time. So I think time will always exist. I think you and I are going to live eternity, as weird as this sounds, chronologically. Like we will have moments, things that we'll, we'll experience. And um, so, the, so the way of thinking about this is that when the new heaven and new earth come, where it's going to be physical and chronological. It will be what the original idea was perfected, and forever. And I just think that's even better than just, because I th- I find in, in myself a desire for that, where you can continue to get better at whatever skill you have or find new ways of thinking about something. Um, I don't think all of our questions are going to be answered on day one in heaven. Instead, I think we have eternity to get to know God in a no sin, no distraction no deception environment. And that sounds pretty cool to me. 
Mm, for sure. And I think about joy yeah. and just ever-growing joy. And I, t- I mentioned at the beginning that I'm in this stage of the season of joy, and I can't imagine just continuing to build upon this joy. Yeah. So, so excited. So looking forward to heaven. <laughs> yeah. Nothing's bittersweet in heaven. Right. You know, you know when, you, when you hold a baby and it's just like, why does it break your heart? It's not because it's not beautiful. It's because it's going away. And we sense that all the time. But at one point, nothing will be. Mm. All right. I agree with you that we don't have to fight for our own justice. But wouldn't Ecclesiastes say that there is a time for this as well? This is so hard to truly understand. Quote, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to shun embracing, end quote. Yeah, I think I'm going to answer this a little bit differently than I did on Sunday. I don't know that I did a great job. <clears throat> Sometimes you, you, in the moment, you don't really fully understand the thrust of the question. Yes, there is a time. The reason that you and I want justice so badly is because that was placed in our hearts as an image bearer of God. Now, we're never going to be able to dole it out perfectly. At best, we're going to do things that might get really close to justice and on the other end might become a documentary on Netflix about how we all got it wrong. But still, we've got that drive, and we need to fight for it. We need to fight when, when people are being oppressed or when you know uh, someone's being abused or you see somebody being assaulted. We become... Uh, in that sense, an instrument for for justice, imperfect as it is in the moment. And we acknowledge that we're not going to do it great, and we're all going to have mixed motives. But one day, someone with no mixed motives at all, God himself, is going to dole out perfect justice. Until then, yeah, I think we are going to do a little bit of that. But interestingly enough, not for ourselves. That's what the Christian abandons. That's that's what sets the Christian free when you realize that God doesn't miss anything. Like in, in this chapter, he, cha- he goes and finds what was chased away. He will seek out what was chased away. Do you have any moments in your life where it's like, oh man, never got that blank filled in. That injustice was never a- answered for. That hurt. I still don't understand that betrayal. God's going to chase all those down and, and make them right. So um, I asked this question. Uh, it did not make it up there on Sunday, but oh, I can go into a little more detail. So this is yours. <laughs> so uh, no, this next question is mine. So okay. I've heard some respectable pastors say they don't believe hell is forever. What are your thoughts? So you're talking about justice. And when I think of justice, I think of, of, of righteous justice, I think of hell. Is that accurate? And um, do you think hell is forever? I think hell is forever. Um, I've heard respectable pastors say that they don't believe that hell for human beings is forever. I do think that even they might say, but it depends. There's two camps. Some people think that there's repentance out of hell. I don't. I really don't believe that. The annihilationist would say heaven, um, hell is not forever because it gets destroyed in the fire. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard, listen, there are conservative Bible-believing pastors who aren't crazy 
who look at that in Revelation and say, aha, it's the destruction of hell. Um, Constant torment in the conservative evangelical, I mean, in the in my wing of the what's going to happen for eternity, involves a whole lot more of people turning in on themselves. I think that this gritting of teeth and na- or gnashing of teeth is not in agony. It's in anger. People who want to play God will get to play God for the rest of eternity. And everything crumbles under the weight of worship except the real God, including you. And I think that this could be—God can do whatever he wants. I don't really think he answered this question that clearly in the Bible with an exclamation point. So that's why I think some Bible-believing pastors can differ on this. But from what I can tell, uh, it looks like God will allow people to spend eternity in one of two places. God will allow you and invites you. In fact, you have to leap over the resurrected body of Christ to get into hell. And and at that point, anybody who wants out of hell can get out of hell. That's what I'll say. But nobody wants out of hell. They want to fix it themselves, and that's how they got there. Mm. So when I ask questions like this, I, I typically think about why why is this important? Um, obviously, there's many, many questions you can ask about the Bible, about God, about Satan, anything like that. And when I ask this question specifically, uh, I think the reason behind why I asked it is I think the more you understand God's intentions, the more you understand God. And if if God is if if God is condemning somebody to hell forever, then that tells me how important He believes sin is, and how important Jesus is in our lives. And that's that's why this type of question is important to me. Maybe there's other reasons out there. But. Yeah. And I think of people people go a, a long way to condemning themselves. I mean, when the cure is available, and when the invitation is given and you don't go to the party, and you don't take the cure, uh, you've gone a long way to self-condemnation. And God, you know, C.S. Lewis famously said there are two groups of people, those who will bow their bow their, their knee to Jesus and say, you're Lord, or your will be done. And then uh, are the people to whom God will say, okay, your will be done. You don't, you don't have to come into my presence. I'm not going to force you. Mm-hmm. Not force you. Love that. All right. When moving out of a season of pain and grief, when or how do you know that God is bringing a new season? Sometimes I feel like I am going into a new season, but then I get stuck in grief and feel like I'm back in the middle of my previous season. Yeah, I don't know. You've asked an unanswerable question. I don't know when a new season's coming. I don't know when one's ending. I don't know if... um if I'm even going to experience another season, you know, this might be the closing number on my on my musical. I wonder if what we're asking here is, how long is this going to last? And if you're going through mourning right now, I'm sure that's what you're asking, because there's nothing like going through a season of just loss. I, know, I understand what that feels like. I can say that pretty... Um, I'm I'm pretty sure sure that I know. I went through about two years of uh, loss after loss, and 
you would all do almost anything to be out of it. The clear truth of Scripture is you cannot skip it, and you can't just get out of it when you want. However, it can make you do a couple of things. Because I'm not perfect, I can grow in those seasons. And because I'm not with God, I can long for God in those seasons, and that's good enough. That's how, that's how you can seize a season like that. All right. Um, I've always been curious as why many Christians praise God when things go their way and when they don't. And when they don't, they say things like, we are being attacked by the devil. Where did this notion come that everything should just go our way? Okay, uh, this is kind of one of my this is kind of one of my issues. This is one of my hot button issues because there is a lie uh, in Christianity, and it is if you do this, then God must do this. If you wear this purity ring and save yourself for marriage, you're going to have a happy and healthy marriage. If you give this $1,000 vow of faith, then you're going to get $10,000. If you are a missionary in a foreign country, then you're going to be effective, and you're going to see soul after soul come to Christ. If you become a pastor, your church is going to grow, and your people are going to love you. If you raise your kids through this book or this particular parenting style, and then your kids are going to grow up. They're never going to make any mistakes. They're going to call you wise, and they're going to— it's all, it's all garbage. We live in a world that, you know, it's funny. When things go wrong, we're being attacked by the devil. We're always being attacked by the devil. We always are being attacked by the devil because there's always lies. Lies inside of your head, lies in the culture, lies among your friends. We are being actively pursued by a liar all the time. And one of the biggest lies is the one that, we, that we're talking about right now. God's a vending machine. Put in your coins, push the buttons. What's going to come out is a happy, healthy life. Jesus did it better than anyone else. And Jesus was being attacked by the devil. But Jesus did it better than anyone else, and they crucified him. So that's where that idea comes from. It's a lie. And, we need, and the sooner we get rid of it, God is not interested in as much in your happiness as he is in your this is going to sound weird but as in your holiness and usefulness for what he wants to do and uh if if what he says is true and he's going to throw a, a party for eternity then I don't care I don't care uh I think I've got I hope I've gotten to the point now there's probably a lot of other stuff going on in here, but I hope I've gotten to the point now where I can honestly say, okay, God, that's cool. Lance, nailed it, man. <laughs> that was so good. So good. Sometimes you just say the things that you feel like, I, I needed to hear that right now, so thank you. Yeah, I don't I don't know, man. Uh, I always worry after these podcasts, frankly. I, I want to go back and say, Didn't, was that right? <laughs> no, so, we can't edit this. Okay, nope. thanks. Good. <laughs> Um, here's a fun one. Okay, good. Can you please preach this message at my funeral? Is that all? That's it. 
Uh, absolutely. As soon as I figure out who you are, <laughs> yeah. but don't, but don't go away too soon. You know what? I think I know who that is, and I really, really love this person. So whatever they want, I will do. <laughs> that's I, awesome. I hope that's a long time from now. I've struggled with how Christianity can be taught or assumed that God is this master controller, sorry, master controller pulling the levers 24-7 and arranging the chessboard of life in some arbitrary arbitrary way each minute of the day. How can we move away from that thinking? Well, we can read our Bible. Um, I I think if you read your Bible uh, all the way through, you're going to find a God who is much more sovereign than that. He doesn't need to pull levers. He doesn't need to manipulate people. He knows people better than we know ourselves. He designed us, and he does not need to remove your libertarian free will in order to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. He just doesn't. We can't understand that, but then again, if we could, we'd be God. God can do two things. He can give me absolute and total free choice and not lie about it, and know the end from the beginning at the same time. That's God territory. It's not my territory. I can give you a little illustration of that. I have on uh, VCR a Buffalo Bills-Dallas Cowboys Super Bowl from early in the 90s, and I know the end from the beginning. I've watched it a few times. It was crazy, (laughs) crazy good. Um, I can even tell you when Russell uh, Maryland, I think, is going to pick up a fumble— Oh, maybe it's not him, but uh, he's going to run and then drop the ball before he gets to the goal line, and they don't break the record for the largest deficit, uh, largest difference in score. Now, do those football players on the field, do they lose free will because I know the end from the beginning? No, they're all making free choices, and God sees the end from the beginning too, and... uh, and yes, he moves in people's heart. He moves in my heart. He invites me to go do something, but he never has to and doesn't remove my free choice. How do you think a non-believer would receive this message? Should it be hopeful for them to know that there is judgment and justice when they face God? Well, not when they face God, because up to this point— their own sin, which was paid for by Jesus, is still going to be counted against them because they reject the payment for, for their sin. Um, if, if somebody pays a ticket for you and says, uh, here, here's $250 in this envelope, take it to the courthouse. I mean, I saw you turn left on a red, and, and you just refuse it. Say, no, I'll pay my own. But you're broke. And the deal is, this is your fourth ticket, and they're going to put you in jail. They don't care that anybody gave you an envelope if you didn't bring it with you, if you didn't accept it. And so, no, it's not great that you're going to stand before your judge having your debt paid but then rejected it. That's no good. But it should give them a great deal of hope that even as an unbeliever, this is weird, but every wrong done to them, every sideways glance that was you know given to them, every time— that they were betrayed, all of that God will make right because he's not, he's not a respecter of persons when it comes to that. He's going to make the whole thing good and just right again. Now, I would recommend that they take care of the first part 
mm-hmm. and and accept Jesus's full payment for their sin. So, so in our life group last night, we were talking through um, Jesus's healings. We're in Matthew nine, I think. Yeah, and there's at least two instances where Jesus heals somebody uh, or raises somebody from the dead based off of somebody else's faith. Raises somebody from the dead like the centurion. Who are we talking about? Yeah. Okay, the daughter of the centurion, and who else? Um, I don't remember off the top of my head. The little girl? Sounds right. Okay. One one he touched, one he didn't touch. Oh, yeah, one was from a distance, yeah. Um. Well, what do you do with that? Here's the deal. Dead people can't express faith, <laughs> for one. <laughs> yep, for sure. Now, I, I know that that some people would say, aha, you're a closet Calvinist. No, I'm not. Because <laughs> that's a big deal. Dead people can't express faith. Lazarus couldn't express faith. Um, but... God has had a will while Jesus was on the planet to to reveal who Jesus was in little moments and little these these were miracles so they weren't happening all the time he did 3 years of ministry we have uh comparatively not many of the days of his ministry do we have like oh, okay miracle after miracle after miracle things happened enough to reveal him as messiah mm-hmm. and there are reasons for these. I don't know all of them, but man, when a centurion expresses faith, don't you think that ought to give everybody the heads up that God is going to reach Gentiles, uh, and he's going to make them come alive? Um, the other one, and I, I may be getting that one wrong, but he—and I need to—I actually don't know. The, I, I want to comment on it. But for the centurion one, I'll just comment on that one. I think we could we could speculate that the reason was that he was saying I'm going to bring alive Gentiles. I'm I'm going to reach people outside based on faith uh, of the people that are that are praying for them. I'm God. I can do what I want and if somebody's praying for them. I don't think this is about salvation though. Mm-hmm. You and I all have to express faith in Christ. Nobody can pray for you and bring you alive spiritually. Mm-hmm. Um it would it would take you saying, I believe, I yeah. believe. Um, I, I think about seasons and I think about what those people were probably going through, right? When yeah. you know, like my daughter just, she's dead. She's, she's laying in bed. Right. And I think about that season, even though it's brief, right? She's, she's dead. I'm mourning. Yeah. The loss uh, is real. I mean, right. they don't know what's going to happen. They don't know the end of the story. We do. Right. But Yep. And then, you know, what, two days later, whatever it was, <laughs> all of a sudden she's alive again. I mean, talk about a quick change in my seasons, <laughs> right? Um, all right. So if you could share one thing with Ben Folds, what would you say to him? Oh, that's such a great... I mean, why, I wish that had gone through. This is my um, question, by the way. Oh, really? You're welcome. <laughs> I would say, Ben, why do you create? And why do you ask the big questions that you ask, why does it seem like you believe that there's something other than just physical bendfolds? Why does it seem like you believe in souls and truth and justice and betrayal and broken relationships and healing of relationships? And what do you, what do you think the motivations are for people to want to feel self-important or to abuse, um, sex and drugs and, and stuff like that? And, 
And do you believe that forgiveness is real? And if you do, what is it based on? Just somebody's arbitrary saying that it's no big deal? Or is there something called real justice? And maybe eventually, if it was a long night, I would say, do you still mourn the abortion uh, when you were in high school? Do you still mourn that? And how do you deal with it? Uh, I mean, based off of his songs, I feel like he does still mourn it. Yeah, uh, I am. I am a Ben Folds fan as well. Probably not to the level that you are, but I do enjoy Ben Folds. I, I think he's a great artist, and I, I, he's asking, singing about all the right questions. He's just missing. He's just missing the yeah the the, the, the answer. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, his last album. You know, Paul Simon just had a kind of an epiphany lately, mm-hmm. and has been singing. He wrote a whole thing on the Psalms. Mm-hmm. It seems like this last album, which is really cool because he's 55 years old, and I think he wrote his best album of his life, mm. What Matters Most. I don't know. I, I think that God loves creatives. God loves artists. I think the guy that wrote Ecclesiastes was an artist. One other thing I would ask him, though, is, did you read Ecclesiastes before you wrote What Matters Most? Because that whole album is almost like the book of Ecclesiastes, so... I don't know. I'd love to get a chance to talk with him. He's a genius. Yeah. And... Yep. Uh, I don't know if you know who Jim Kelly is, the the uh, uh, Denver Broncos owner. Oh, right? yeah. Ex-quarterback. Yeah, yeah. He just got baptized recently. Yeah. Did you know that? <laughs> I did see that. Jim and his family has been believers, and um, he's, he struggled with cancer, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so the thing is, God can God can do what he wants to do, and I pray for him and, and my other big kind of fanboy guys, Billy Joel, mm. uh, and I would love for Billy Joel to come to faith. So, All right. Uh, will there ever be justice for what Satan has done? Oh, yeah. Right now, Satan, I think, is a very angry um, entity because it's amazing the self-deception you can get into just as a human being. Can you imagine? Raise that to an exponent of 100 that's Satan. If you once you think in the presence of God that you are actually God, that's an incredible self-deception. Um, so the fact that he loses and he doesn't lose with a fight, he's defeated with one word. I think is humiliation that will last it for an eternity. Um, and I don't mind that because Satan hates humanity. I don't mind that someone who would um, destroy my daughters or my wife or my friends and and the people that I love, I don't mind that they get what's coming to them. I can't dole it out. I'm not God, but I'm glad that God is going to do that. And yes, I think that all of Satan's injustices will be made right. This is a side note, but I read, I was reading a book that talked about why there are fallen angels. And I always thought... You know, it's because they wanted their uh, they wanted control themselves, and the book shed light on maybe they just didn't like humans. Like maybe maybe God loved humans so much that they just felt like like jealous of us, and so then that that started the fall of angels. Wow, who wrote that? Uh, uh, artist or uh, an author named VJ Dunn. VJ Dunn. All right. I also like Michael Heiser. He just passed away, but um, he writes a lot of book on the uh, books on the unseen realms. It's interesting. It's an interesting subject because we don't know mm-hmm. exactly what went into it, and uh, could have been. 
I mean, that's bad news for us because, listen, I don't want to get all superstitious or anything, but I do believe, obviously, I believe in an unseen realm because mm-hmm. I think that that's, that the kingdom of God is not up there somewhere. Right. It's rather in, in another dimension. It's it's all around us. And so there, isn't it obvious that there are, that there are forces that hate humans? You look at world wars and uh, terrorism and rape and and abuse and cancer. You know, there's just, of course, there's this brokenness to the world, but then there's also um, liars and forces that hate humans. Mm-hmm. We got two questions left. Okay, I've taken a long time. Can I can I give my disclaimer here? Yes. I realize I'm saying a lot of words here, and this is to us. It's like a casual conversation. Right. To you who are listening to it, it might sound like, oh, Lance is laying down some doctrine here. I am not laying down doctrine. Doctrine is found in the Bible, and if anything that I say is contrary to the Bible, please throw it out. Um, lean into the Bible. Lean into truth. And um, I've been wrong before. I will be wrong again, and I want you guys to know that. I think it's interesting for two believers to get together and say, what about this? Mm, yeah, and— Ditto all that for me as well. Okay. <laughs> and next week, we will have another guest with us. All right. Looking forward to that. Um, all right. Last two questions. Here we go. Uh, what if the only way to live life is to go through, not around, not over, I'm assuming not under, but through? It's kind of like we're going on a bear hunt. Do you remember that? <laughs> Do you remember that? Can't. No. no. You don't remember it at all. <laughs> no. Can't go under it. Can't go around uh, what if that's the only way to do life? Well, it is the only way to do life. Has anybody found a way around mourning death or has anybody found a way around, oh, I don't have to go through this financial crisis after I lost my job and declared bankruptcy. Yeah, you, the thing about the believer is that Matthew 28 says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then he gives us the Holy Spirit, so nobody is going anywhere as a believer alone. Hmm. Now, you might feel alone. You might have a liar whispering in your your ear that God has abandoned you. You're never alone. But God is going to bring you through these things. Sometimes you're going to escape them. You know, the thing doesn't happen, or the, the diagnosis is wrong, or the marriage gets put back together. But even then, you've kind of gone through in order to get to the other side of that. You've had the chaos before you have the peace. And, and I feel like sometimes the wounds are self-inflicted. Not always, right? Yeah, like, they are, yeah. A, a lot of times, you know, it's an external thing uh, that, that's affecting your life. But sometimes they are self-inflicted. And I, uh, our men's group is currently working on confessing. And when you confess and you open up to each other, I mean, it, it changes lives. I think it, personally, I've, I feel like it puts Satan in his place and it sheds light on God. And, and when you're open with each other and honest with each other, I feel like I, I just feel like you're taking a step into the light and out of the darkness. Uh, so for whoever wrote this question, if you're, if you're struggling with anything, I, I highly encourage you to, to reach out to the church, uh, reach out to a friend, and, and just have these hard conversations. Yeah, Satan does his work in shame and secrecy, and that's where he wants to keep things. Very good. All right, the last question. I actually had to look this up because I didn't really know what it meant. Um, so what <laughs> about the great white throne? There is no hope there. 
The great white throne judgment in Revelation is where all the nations come before God and books are opened and another book is opened and it's the Lamb's book of life and any name that was not found written in the Lamb's book of life, they were cast into the lake of fire and hell is thrown into the lake of fire and the whole thing's over with. Um, Listen, man, if the bridge is out and you're doing 75 miles an hour, and I'm holding a sign that says the bridge is out, and you press on the gas. You're right. Hope is lost. There comes a termination point where you can't stop that car. And some people get there. But again, you have to leap over the resurrected body of Christ in order to get into hell. You have to, you have to shut your mind and not listen and there's a, there is a power in the world that has blinded the eyes of people, makes preaching sound foolishness, sound like foolishness. Once we get to the great white throne, then people have made their choice, and they don't want to be with God. They don't want to. God doesn't force people to do things. And so uh, I think that they still think there's hope. I mean, I think that's the mindset of someone who's going before God who thinks they can do it on their own. As crazy as that sounds, I think they think, you know, it reminds me, Samson beat, I think, like 999 men with the jawbone of an ass. I just, I get that and everything. I just don't get the 999th guy going up to him, you know, (laughs) walking over 998 corpses. I think I can take him. Well, I think the people are foolish like that with God. So uh, th- there's great hope. Jesus died for all sins. This is clear throughout Scripture. He died for the world in John 3. He loved the world. He loves everyone. All sins were paid for on the cross. So there's the hope. Once you decide, I don't want it, well, then... Hope evaporates for you, and that that only evaporates at the very end when you when you die and go off into eternity, having been adopted by God or not, having been sealed by the Spirit or not, having been, um, you know, forgiven and given life, having a heart of stone replaced with a heart of flesh. Those are the things that happen when you say, "I I believe Jesus is who He says He is. I believe He can do." What he says he can do, he can forgive my sins, he can give me life, and I believe he did it for me, then you are at that moment adopted into his family. So good. So, so good. Once again, um, this was a a recap of seasons. Lance, you want to give us a a quick summary of what you'll be talking about next week? This is going to be a fun one. Uh, the the teacher throughout the book of Ecclesiastes says, hey, man, uh, life is rough. I mean, life is rough. You're going to go through some seasons. But even in those seasons, have you ever seen laughter at a funeral? No. I have. <laughs> well, I mean, like, people are telling stories, right? Being happy. Yeah, being yeah. happy. Well, I don't know whether they're yeah. being a little happy, yeah. especially at the meal afterwards. They're recounting stories to each other. They're, they're, and it's a weird, it's a weird kind of mix. I think in the seasons of life, God gives you these little glimpses of heaven, and they're simple. Uh, Rob Thomas, Rob Thomas, the singer of, was it Matchbox 20? Matchbox 20. 
tells a story about his song called um, Little Wonders, or no, I forgot what the name of the song. Maybe it is called Little Wonders. He he was at a concert, and he was like, he felt 10 feet tall. Everybody was just rocking out. But then he gets back to his bus, and it's raining outside, and he's got to take his dog for a walk. <laughs> and he's got to pick up a poop bag, right, and then take his dog out for a walk. He's like, I'm Rob Thomas. <laughs> what am I doing? And he just feels miserable, but his dog, he looks down at his dog, and just looking up with expectation, just actually super excited to see him. Can't wait to go outside and take a walk with him. And he says, it's those little moments that God, that I don't know whether Rob thinks God gives these little moments, but I think that they're windows into heaven, how things really ought to be. And so it's not only suffering that makes us long for heaven. It's these little pictures of what heaven is going to be like, laughter around a fire pit with friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're going to talk about that. Awesome. Looking forward to it. I'm Joe Padavina. And I'm Lance Birch. And this is One More Thing, sounding off.